So today with we are with uh, Jordan Shallow, uh, aka the Muscle Duck, uh, maybe one of the most knowledgeable person when it comes to functional anatomy and uh, injury management. Uh, you're also a world class powerlifter, raw, uh, around 340 kilo squats with wraps, right. 200 bench, yep. about the same in deadlift, right? Three, Three. four, 345, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, you also run the RX podcast with the other Jordan. Yeah. Um, you also run the educational online uh, prescript. Do you even sleep? Sometimes I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. I get a couple hours here and there. So I'm. I'm. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to to do this today because actually we're in Sydney right now and Jordan is flying back to Canada tomorrow. So, um, for people who are not aware of who you are, like what your work is, maybe can you like give us a quick background of how you fell in love with strength training? Because everyone who puts that amount of weight on their back definitely loves the <laughs> the thing and the lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I started off playing hockey in Canada as like a kid and got into strength training as like an adjunct to get better. So like my first inception into weight training was like through the lens of strength and conditioning. So I just, it's like, oh, it'll make me better at hockey. Sweet. That's all I cared about. And I just did whatever reps and sets I was told to do and then kind of built out from there. And once hockey sort of aged out and I was not in the NHL at 18 or in professional hockey, I was like, oh, okay, well, I should probably go to school for something. Um, so then I kept training just because I kind of enjoyed the process of training um, for sport and then training quickly kind of became the sport. And then went to chiropractic college in California um, I got into competitive powerlifting as I was finishing up chiropractic college, actually the year after. Um, one of my first patients was like a, a very prominent competitive powerlifter in North America. It's held, uh, I don't know, 10 plus world records in the 110s and um, 100 kilo class. Um, so I would work with him and then he would coach me and he, I, he signed me up for my first meet. That was four years ago and I kind of never looked back and just was able to use kind of my clinical experience as a chiropractor and like my professional experience as a strength coach and then had some personal experience um with a barbell and yeah all that sort of balled up into one thing and now i'm here talking to you yeah okay um you you often talk about um uh, being into the fields uh in your on your instagram or on your different platforms uh how important is it in on your point of view to to actually get your hands dirty, like basically the difference between the theory and the practical aspect of strength training. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's important for anyone uh, to teach us to have skin in the game, right? Because now there's an associative risk involved with what I'm teaching, right? So if there's, if I'm now putting myself at risk, there's not only a detriment to those that I'm teaching these principles to, there's also a detriment to me, right? I think that's a big problem in systems where people have control over the way people think, but don't actually aren't affected by the way that thought process is, is, is put together and delivered, right? So I think anyone who's going to be, you know, in an education role, regardless of what it is, has to have like skin in the game, right? And this is like a principle I've taken from this. You know, I like to think laterally and move outside of training to sort of get theories about training and philosophies. And this is something like straight from a dude named Nicholas Nassim Taleb. 
Uh, and he talks about this in like politics and things like that. But I think it, it's a transferable thought process where if I'm going to kind of give like a sermon on the mount, that's the hill I'd better be dying on sort of thing, right? So I think having some skin in the game is, is imperative. In an evidence-based arena, it's not just empirical research. Like I know how to read. Right, I don't need someone to you know interpret studies for me. I can read PubMed journals, right? Uh, and then the other pillar of evidence base is going to be like your client value. So I need to have experience in working with clients and be empathetic to the, their experience and their past history. And then the third is my professional experience and personal experience. So being able to put all those three together that allows you to be evidence based. A lot of people I think conflate research based and evidence based as the same thing. And if you're doing that without a bar on your back, you're not evidence based. And I think you can also take away some practical evidence from from research but it's always difficult because the population it's studied on the experience of the population can can be different like we both know like for example when they say trained athletes what does it mean right, right. It, it can be like have they been training for a year or have they been waiting uh training powerlifting for 10 years you yeah. know it's a big difference right because you've been training for 10 plus years right right now and that's actually like a question i wanted to ask you like what would you change like if you could go back to like when you started strength training you know nothing because i think you need to be empathetic of like every hurdle in the road at every step of the process right and like if i were to change something that would decrease my ability to understand and be empathetic of objections and hurdles that other people at that stage need to overcome Right, So to leapfrog that would be to rob myself of the experience necessary to be able to coach and guide someone through that relative period in their training career. So yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, every, I got torn muscles, torn pecs, torn labrums, torn meniscus, whatever. And I wouldn't change it. Cause like, I know more about pec rehab than probably anyone cause I'm missing half of mine. Right. And it's like it, it, pain is knowledge really fast. So I learned a lot by the, just through experience what other people might look at mistakes. It's like, well, this is an invaluable experience that I have that gives me somewhat of an upper hand. I actually heard you speak on the Ben Pakulski's podcast, uh, and you were actually saying that you're able to do what you're doing today thanks to you know the guys from uh, Westside Barbells and everything who who literally are broken from head to toe, and you're still saying that you've had some injuries in your career. You know, and do you think like in the future maybe we can like get to a point where power athletes can maybe avoid most of these injuries, or do you think it's powerlifting is still going to take a toll on the body? Like, if you want to really get to these like crazy numbers, yeah, and it's and that's the, it in any sport, man. Like, performance and health are not the same thing, and anyone who tells you that is going to be in second place, right? So it's if you're not willing to fly close to the sun, there's someone else who will. Right. And there's a way to do it, and longevity can be taken into consideration. There's many arguments to be made, uh, but I think we're always right at the that razor's edge, and we're better now. Like I mean, I remember when I first started powerlifting, like you know, a, a 400 kilo squatter and 900 kilo total, uh, like 110s was like untenable, right? And now we're seeing numbers lifted raw that we were seeing lifted in gear. Right. So I think we are getting better and learning from the mistakes of the past, but like there are always, you know, if you're going to be pushing it and you want to like actually, you know, see how far you can go, you only really know where that limit is until when you cross it. Right. So, um, 
you know, we're, we are, I think, getting smarter as an industry, right? Like with what you guys do as proof of concept of that. Like, I don't think it's not as saturated as like we would necessarily like it to be. But I think with the work that we both do, it's, it's, it is bringing this stuff to the forefront. Like the more me and you like dilute the market with just higher level thought process, the less valuable everything else becomes. So I think the, the tide has been turning and it's no longer just like, Paula Quinn, Thibodeau, uh, you know, Dave Tate, Buddy Morris, like those kind of early pioneers. Now, you know, we could, we could probably list off 20 or 30 guys and girls that are kind of raising the bar and it's just going to continue to grow as they, you know, just as Charles influenced me, you know, there's now 30 of us who are influencing, you know, hopefully, you know, other coaches and that'll begin to expand outward from this like very small center 20, 30 years ago. Actually, like, I would like to speak about that because you, you run an educational program called Prescript. We actually have some of our students who are currently following uh, uh, that course and who are absolutely loving it. So can you tell us a bit more about it? Like, how does it work? What what are people going to learn when they follow that? Right. So our, our sort of like cornerstone course is like the level one course. Uh, so it's a 16-week course taught like entirely online and it basically goes through like sports performance and that's sort of a relative term depending on who's coming in and more so injury risk management so we look at like how can we take corrective exercise and make it exercising correctly and so we start back with like really what i think to be basic like fundamental anatomy like let's look at someone and be able to peel back you know the sweater and the t-shirt the skin and the muscle and let's try to see and you know articulating joint surfaces and you know ligaments and then layer on tendons then layer on muscles then layer on nerves and layer on a nervous system um, and then you know put it all together and be able to train it in real time so 16 week course first half of the course we go through shoulder, hip, and spine at that deepest level. So sh shoulder, we go down to like arthrology and joint mechanics. Um, you know, we go through kind of the, the the four major joints of the shoulder, and then we start to talk a little bit of rotator cuff function, lower traps, scapular stability, rotator cuff stability, and then we move into hip, gait cycle mechanics, pelvic structure. Um, then we go into like you know uh, lateral rotator group, glute med, piriformis. Um, hip flexors and all that entails adductors and things like that and then on the latter half of the course or sorry we get into spine deep spinal musculature talking a little bit about the autonomic nervous system you know we get into multifidus and rotatories and erectors and dorsally innervated uh, true back muscles and then we take this framework our base level structure and then we layer on okay here's a deltoid you know, here's its action. You know, it abducts in various degrees of rotation, and it goes through transverse extension or, or flexion, depending on what fiber we're using. It, that's its action. Now, what's the deltoid's function, right? Well, it's, it's the deltoid creates glenohumeral superior translation. So we, we kind of create an index, like a joint-by-joint -joint index of, of function of the joint and action of the muscles. So it's not just you know, how to fix your rib cage mechanics, but it's also how your rib cage mechanics when properly fixed can improve, you know, the, the, the strength of your bench press or the size of your triceps, right? So I think a lot of people, they go down the corrective route and then they miss the objective outcome. So we try and blend both. So we go shoulder, hip, and spine at that sort of rudimentary, um, that level of applied biomechanics and anatomy. And then we spin that in with like, okay, how can we, how can we make a, um, 
let's say a pullover, an exercise to improve thoracic extension, not just to train various parts of the strength curve of the lat. So we, we go shoulder, hip, and spine with our fundamentals in the first half of the course, and we layer on, and we literally go deltoid, um, tricep, bicep, pec, lat, trap, three fibers, rhomboids, lower trap, uh, glute, max, med, min, hamstring, quad, gastroc soleus and we go so by the time we're done 16 weeks we have a very uh, high resolution working model of the body and you understand that every everything works together yeah basically especially for like big movements like the power lifts or stuff like that yeah. so you ne- you need to assess every single point if you want to excel right on on those lifts um so when actually like i'll put all the details yeah. for people who want to 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 get a bit more information we'll put all the details uh in the description um when did you start actually this is online uh r- route yeah route? so we've been doing the level one course online for about a year okay. so it's been developed for about a year and a half i think we can both agree that like online education is the future especially with the current current pandemic uh, it's super flexible because people can be wherever in the world and follow your course so we have these french people following your course but what what do you think are the limitations to online education right um so there's there's an intangible feedback of being in a room right like you can kind of tell when you've lost a room yeah. so you know we are teaching we have everyone from medical doctors to athletes to personal trainers to chiropractors to physical therapists so it can be difficult at times to read the room so to speak so being able to to be reactive in the way you deliver the information is difficult and you know we're using a like a like a theoretical medium to teach a very practical um, skill so there is an intangible to hands-on and tactile and especially with people that get into training spaces they're much more in the kinesthetic right so missing that is tough but you know like you said the the 3d aspect the 3d aspect you know using some of the hardware and software especially upcoming with like some some new tweaks we've made to the way we deliver the courses we're trying to minimize that gap of the in-person um but you know as a trainer a coach will tell you nothing really beats the hands-on right so you know we do we are projecting some live events for our advanced levels. So we have level two, which is going to be uh, a course that is uh, continued to be delivered online, a little bit deeper into the theory, more rib cage, pelvic breathing, gait cycle mechanics. And then level three is something that's actually in person. Um, and, you know, once the world will accommodate for that, that's really going to be like, all right, let's see all of this theory that we've learned across these first two uh, certifications. Let's see how we actually apply it on the floor and apply it in, you know, um, let's say higher stakes situation with some professional athletes. So that's really going to be um, where I think we start to, um, I don't want to say weed people out, although that is part of it. Like we, we want the cream to rise to the top. Um, but yeah, it, it has been a difficult challenge to, you know, bring these, these very, um, these very tactile principles, you know, through like a, just a 2d medium. What actually are the cues and advice that make you cringe the most in the in the fitness industry? <laughs> that's tough, man. Honestly, it's it's the lack of context that makes me cringe, right? So I think that's really it. Because I think anything, everything works. Nothing works every time. And I think the longer that you do it, the more you the the less 
you, you know, your toes begin to curl when you start to see or hear something because the more you can understand that how the things you say might be taken out of context, you know, if someone could post um, um, an excerpt, just a quick screen grab of something I said in a lecture and it stand alone might be a contentious statement if not surrounded by another 59 minutes yeah. of content. So I think now with like the revenge of the nerd culture, which is good and bad but like we can start to see people trying to have these intellectual knife fights so what honestly what makes me cringe is people that just do a lot of this right so it's like i don't care if you you know your cue is one thing or another but like you got it's not about what you know it's about what you can prove right so it comes back to what i asked you a bit before about being in the trenches and getting your your hands dirty, right? Yeah, that's it. And I, and I respect anyone that'll that'll put a bar on their back or a bar in their hands. Like, I don't care what you say because you're on a pathway to learn one way or another. If your cue's not going to work, you put enough weight on that bar, that cue, that cue will tell you it doesn't work, right? The, and, but that's an investment that people have made greater than money to me that shows that they're actually invested kind of in the field and in the industry. And, I mean, you, you designed this course because I've... I feel like you were feeling that there was something that was missing in the industry, right? And I totally agree with that because what I've seen in your content, I have not seen anywhere else. You know, that this actually relationship between like top performance and functional anatomy and, and, and injury management and everything. What actually like do you think are the problem with the current education on, on this risk management of injuries, of either through the field of uh, chiropractic or, or medicine and et cetera. What's the big problem do you think today? Yeah, I think most people actually fundamentally don't understand biomechanics because the way it's taught. Biomechanics is taught in two dimensions, right? Like we'll, we'll, we'll draw a sagittal plane analysis of a squat and we'll call that biomechanics. Well, you know, here's your lever, here's your moment arm, here's, you know, torque or whatever, force, whatever. And it's like, how the fuck is that going to help anyone? Didn't you write an article to something about the Ripito squat or something? Yeah, yeah. 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 And because, <laughs> you know, every time I see someone stick figure, someone taking a shit on a toilet, saying that's <laughs> proof of concept. It's like, no, like, because there's joints underneath there and there's shear and compression and there's a nervous system that dictates a path of least resistance and the way we recruit muscles and their ability to perform tasks, right? And I think that's where a lot of people miss. Like, I always use the analogy of, like, imagine lightning bolt hitting something. If you've ever looked at, a, a like, a neuron and how a neuron synapses, right? Like, that is electrical impulse. Like our human movement is 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 source coded with this binary ones and zeros of electrical impulse, right? Where just as a lightning bolt touches the tree, it picked the tree not indiscriminately based off of the shortest distance between the two points being a straight line. It's never the case. It's the path of least resistance for this conduit of electricity to to find its way to the center of the earth, right? So that's how movement is created through conduits of paths of least resistance and you know if we have like lack of stability at a lateral hip that might overload the opposite quad when we hit the hole we shift into that hip maybe we have more internal rotation right and once we start to look four dimensional not even three dimensional because we need to consider the dimension of time as we train right we move through three planes but we also move through time so you know when i see a freeze frame of a sagittal plane and outcome the line drawing in the coach's eye we, we're, we're, we're robbing that moment of context and time. And we're also robbing the dimensions and the role of the nervous system to recruit. So I think fundamentally when we start to look at, you know, what is an injury? Well, an injury is applied force greater than tissue tolerance. How do we rehab injuries? 
we do isometrics and eccentrics to build tissue tolerance. What about the applied force? Why are we not doing anything about why and how it is that this force got to your patella tendon and left you with patella tendinopathy or your common flexor tendon or your tricep tendon or your supraspinatus tendon. And when we start to look deeper at like, okay, how is it that we're applying force? And we start to respect this electrical impulse and this path of least resistance model that our body uses. Now we can start to ask better questions and get better answers. And that's really where biomechanics exists. It's not in these straight line drawing free body diagrams. It's in sort of creating a high-resolution four-dimensional model of the human body. You can actually, you can even go further in terms of uh, what is injury because I'm actually writing a, an article for the course about the relationship between pain and, and tissue damage, you know, right. which even that aspect is mind-blowing when you look at sure. the current research and, like, yeah, the problematics you have, again, the context and, and then the relationship on like injury, like you, if you define it as limitating to, to, to movement or to, to performance or something like that. Um, so the last question I actually wanted to talk to, <laughs> to ask you was, um, who has influenced you the most during your journey? And we actually had done this question a few seconds ago, but the audio cut, so we're doing it again. Right. So put all the acting you have. <laughs> well, you know, it's easy, man. Like, because whatever I talk about, I still get chills. So um, first off, early in my career, was a close friend of mine named Luke Bernaches. He's a coach from Southwestern Ontario. He's like, just laid the hook on me. Like, laid the hook on me when I was super young. And like, I think I may have overcome a lot of pitfalls to your question earlier because of his guidance like i look at common mistakes i see in the gym now and i was just never exposed to that because he was such a high level and he exposed me to high level thought processes very early um so when i started to build on that i was building from a uh, you know a, a position or a place that most people get to 10 15 years into training so now i, I felt like i really had a, a leg up in some of the concepts as i began to expand on them i was expanding on them from a very um uh, a very uh, advanced standpoint, I mean, I, and I took, took it for granted. I just thought everyone knew this. I thought this was yeah. sort of common knowledge. But you had like much advance to his help. Yeah, and he's still to me someone that I go to for advice, and when we kick the ball around on on ideas with training. So he was one, um, and then Charles Poliquin, obviously for me being Canadian and seeing what Charles did, his impact on the industry creating like a legacy that even now and i think to the best coaches that i know like if i have a question about exercise programming i'll go to Derek woodski exercise execution i'll go to ryan family you know maybe more nutrition i'll go to luke lehman all of these guys have had their hands stamped by paul Oakland, which is and the, the business concept he built also about having his facility having the educa educational program everything is oh yeah amazing. i mean he's so ahead of his time like from, from a business perspective to his training methods, like you'll listen to old interviews of Charles talking about cluster training and how, you know, he was utilizing cluster training from principals back in the 60s, from coaches, I think in like the Ukraine or something, Kazakhstan or something like that. And it wasn't until the mid 90s where we started to see cluster training emerge in research. And it's like, you know, he, 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 had, he had the audacity to go against research because he knew that performance was always on the leading edge, right? So he went with the, the, the evidence and the personal and professional experience and he was able to get results that other people weren't willing to, to or didn't really have the courage to get because they didn't want to go against what was in research. Um, so he was a big an influence on me. Uh, ben Pakulski has been huge. Um, me and Ben did some work in 
two years ago now, we, we did uh, uh, some seminars around the world and just his, his outlook on... on it was Milos also, right? Uh, so Milos was the year after. Right. So I sort of got busy in the muscle camps. He wanted to continue to do it. Milos came in and sort of filled my spot and they went, you know, obviously a totally different direction with Milos's experience and expertise. Um, so he's been huge, just personal and professional development. Like he just, you know, he's a 4.30 a.m. So if you're up at five, you're already behind the eight ball. So <laughs> living with him, who's like up early, you know, you're working. And I think that was a huge catalyst for me, just being able to see someone operate at that level in and outside of the gym. Um, Dan Green was, that was the patient of mine who was the powerlifter. Um, so you he trained was, with him in 2017, right? Yeah. So from 2015 to 2018, it okay. was like, I he was, it was just a year. Actually. No, no. I, I worked with Dan actually probably prior to that 2014, I was seeing him in, uh, in the clinic and school. And then we trained together and I worked with him in a clinical setting. My, one of my practices was actually out of boss barbell club in California. Um, so just from when it comes to strength training perspective, he was he was a big influence. Jesse Burdick was another one. Eddie Cohn was another one. Steffi Cohen's a good friend of mine from a business perspective. Um, she was someone that, you know, similar academic backgrounds. Obviously, she's a superlative in the powerlifting world. And then, you know, hybrid being the, the kind of the monster that it is in the industry. Um, so yeah, so you're really lucky because you've been with well lucky. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no I dude. wouldn't say lucky, but you were fortunate to have worked with the best of the best. Yeah, yeah. Dan Green, like oh, dude, he's one my, of my favorite. I check my phone ever. and I like, like, why are these people talking to me? Like, every day? <laughs> like every day, I literally look at my phone and I just like, oh, like they know me. Oh yeah, wait, I've known this person for like five years. So, but I think it's a proof of concept. Like you are, and now like my, I think my biggest driving factor, the coaches in our program. Right. Like, you know, you start to because that that keeps me connected, that that's becomes partially my skin in the game is like investing back into what they're doing. You know, what are the hurdles now that someone as a strength coach is running into? What are the gaps now in the knowledge in physical therapy, chiropractic, personal training? Right. How can I, you know, with, you know, a few backgrounds and some experience and a, and a cell phone full of, you know, successful people in the industry, how can I filter out? this and bring that to them so now when i'm thinking about like creating content or you know uh, writing articles to books it's you know having that connection that pipeline back into the industry like right into the heart of the industry is, is invaluable well thank you again so much for taking the time to do this if people want to find you what's the best support you on instagram youtube uh yeah instagram at the muscle the underscore muscle underscore dog YouTube, yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure it's still That's there. That's where I actually discovered you. Crazy. I was looking for stuff like another time of my fucked up shoulders, yeah. you know, and I was like, oh, this is good. This is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so YouTube. Like maybe like you had short hair, shorter yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's, that's, YouTube's been up for like five. It's weird to me because YouTube indexes in a different way than Instagram. Yeah. So it like accrues like like a like a savings bonds you yeah. didn't know you had but this is what i like with youtube because you can actually research content right you know the problem with instagram just like disappears yeah like you can't say like go and see my post from july 2017 yeah. right yeah uh, so youtube is uh the muscle doc or just jordan shallow uh, podcast is rx radio on itunes and spotify yeah. uh yeah i'll link everything yeah awesome easy thanks man thanks jordan yeah